0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason, And I'm Sam. Sam. Sam, welcome back
1: from nice Games back.
0: is Lit. You want to introduce your channel for a second, let people know what you do?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. I am. A, I go by the moniker The Game Professor. I run a channel on YouTube called Games as Lit 101, which does reviews and stuff, but kind of the main attraction is a big old long deep dives into video game stories and how they're told. In this interactive medium so yeah
0: i'm gonna pull up your channel real quick and put it into the chat right so that people could find it right here if you search game
1: 101 on youtube it'll it'll come up pretty quick
0: (laughs) here you go chat that'll also be in the uh in the description of the video on youtube when it goes up and of course in the audio only versions too in the description so check out his channel if you're into storytelling In video games, which a lot of you should be, since that's what we talk about mostly here as well. (laughs) Um, So, there wasn't a whole lot of news this week, fellas. Uh, The the post-E3 drought is is in full effect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really, the only thing that I saw that caught my attention was this uh, remake of Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town, which was, I think, the Game Boy Advance Harvest Moon game. Um, yeah. Cason and I were big Harvest Moon fans, Huge, especially yeah. Harvest Moon 64. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. They don't
0: call it that anymore. They call it story of seasons now. So it's so
2: weird because they are still making Harvest Moon games.
0: Yes. Just, they're still doing that Harvest rich. Moon. It's just called. Well, this no. is called story of Seasons. And then their other ones called Harvest Moon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's weird. <laughs> it's very confusing as to like, what is the deal with the licensing? I'm going to put it on the screen real quick though. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like when, when we moved into the GameCube era, where did the, you sent me the, here it is. Okay. Sorry about that. Let me get it on the screen. Oh, the trailer, the Japanese one. <laughs> yeah. The trailer. I'm going to start playing it here. You got some live action kids petting, just... skip that <laughs> <laughs> petting, <laughs> go to, go to uh, some animals. Then. And then about 20 seconds in, they actually start, start, start showing the game. What it looks like. Yeah. But um, no, uh, Moon 64 is like a top 10 game for me. I freaking oh, loved it. I, yeah, And I was just thinking the other day. I mean, we've been talking about it since the release of the Switch, really, whether N64 games would ever come to the Switch. But I was yeah. thinking about like, I wonder if they've got like uh, any kind of good emulator working on the Switch yet for an N64. But turns out it doesn't run very well for the most part. Because I really wanted to play Harvest Moon sixty four on my Switch. I wanted to play that game really, really bad.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: but I, anyways, I was thinking about Harvest Moon and then I saw this uh this announcement for Friends of Mineral Town coming up on the switch. I was like, oh, maybe I'll check that out. Um it's very I don't chibi. know. I it's don't know about the chibi. look though. I think I'd rather have the, I'd rather have it with the Pixel art. No, to I be would honest. too. Between the Pixel art, yeah, I mean
2: I would too. But since they went three D, I don't mind it. I really don't mind it. It's got a lot of the charm of final fantasy or of final fantasy. <laughs> um, well, crystal chronicles, I guess. No, it's got a lot of the charm of, um, of the harvest moon 64, that 3d look, uh, mm-hmm. with, but they just, they just pushed it a little more in the chibi direction as opposed to, you know, maybe what, uh, harvest moon 64 was actually looking to do, but, they never really just do the pixel art stuff anymore. Like if they just remastered it instead of remade it, mm-hmm. I guess that would be fun. But this looks cool. I mean, I, I really like this. I think this will be a fun game to play.
0: I still haven't even played. Uh, what's the. The one the indie game that's like Harvest Moon on the Oh Switch Stardew Valley the- Valley. Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley. I well, think I I'll play it. that. I should play that first. Yeah, dude, if you're looking <laughs> for like basically
2: Uh, Harvest Moon but pixel art still but modern like game making techniques and all that like Mm -hmm. there you go that's I actually haven't played
1: any Harvest Moon games, but I've played a lot really? of Stardew Valley. So start of that was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I really need to try out the Harvest Moon series, but my, my well, wife well, and I will yeah. regularly like, you know, head out to the local park and just sit down with our Switches and play Harvest uh, Stardew Valley together. It's real nice. <laughs> it's fun
2: to play. I played it with my wife, too. It's fun to play like with somebody else, although I haven't yeah. played it since they
1: released the... The co-op thing. Wait, wait. You know. so how
0: how how do you play it with someone? Yeah,
1: it's just a, someone hosts the world. Like in, in my case, my, my wife, you know, made a world on her switch and so she'll host it and then if I'm in range, I'll join it, and then the two of us just kind of simultaneously are in the world together and well, it's like Animal Crossing oh. in that so sense, it's like I a guess.
0: local co op thing? Yeah, yeah. So it does do, online too. I'm not do sure. Do they just like visit your village or can they like have a residence there and like
1: Yeah, it's um I've Know. Oh man, it's been a little while since we did it. I'm pretty sure I have my own place. Also, mm-hmm. though, like we're you know we're married like in real life. Oh, so in we the... kind of just like we're not we can marry each other in the game. In but, the game? Okay. Yeah. Oh really? Talking.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. But of course, both of us have people uh, characters that we have crushes on in the game, so we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So you know, you just kind of yeah. I guess it's technically her. Like she could play it without me, but you know we don't. So it's mm. kind of like Minecraft's multiplayer.
0: Oovege is saying uh, the farm is shared. They keep NPC relations separate. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, huh. And then Biberman saying, wasn't uh, Harvest Moon 64 not the same as the one on the PS1? They were different games, actually. Yeah, totally yeah, different games. Which is different. so weird now that I think about it that I haven't tried out that PS1 Harvest Moon game. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I'm really interested to know what the differences are and why on Earth Day did that <laughs> in the first place really really strange idea but um anyways anyone interested in harvest moon 64 if you hadn't heard uh that's the game boy advance friends of mineral town that's being remade on the switch so interesting news cool stuff to look forward to um okay Let's jump into uh, our main topic for today. So, Sam, the reason that I I wanted to bring you on is I saw this string of tweets on Twitter back on June 21st, and I was – you probably got like – 10 notifications from me liking every single thing you said over, <laughs> all the way down the line. Just like, 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 it was just like spot on. I, I was super impressed by this. Oh, well, thank Um, and so I wanted to have you on last week, but I didn't get to you in time. So we, we delayed it by one week, but, um, so I'm not going to put this part on the screen so that we can keep the guy anonymous who, uh, who sent this tweet to you in the first place. Yeah. Um, but, He said, essentially, don't do narrative analysis on games. Um, He says, analysis is masturbatory and instructive. Creation is expressive and collaborative. I'm not even really sure what his point is. Make a game instead of, like, analyze a story. I don't really
1: uh, get it. Yes. I'm still trying to figure out how instructive is necessarily a, <laughs> a bad thing. thing but <laughs> God, I, I mean, I've been in a conversation with him for a little while, and his original point was that video games have done nothing worth analyzing in the first place. In terms of narrative, or even all of it. Yeah, like that video game storytelling is so basic that it's not worth looking at, and we should just Mm. look at the mechanics and stuff. Kind of your typical, you know, don't find meaning in video games kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Sure. And that's yeah, that's no kind
0: of like <laughs> the central point that I that I wanted to kind of address. And I, I'm still kind of thinking about what the title for this will be. But the title right now is what is the value of game narrative? Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so your response, your first response to him was, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read through this because I thought it was really brilliant and everyone should freaking know what you said. (laughs) (laughs) You said, okay, so obviously I have thoughts on this. First being, why do you follow this account if you think the entire premise of the web series it represents is useless and masturbatory? But I also have more thoughts about why this is a super misguided or why this is super misguided in general. Now I'm going to scroll down a little bit to the rest of the thread and actually put it on screen so that people can read it along. With us. Before games as Lit 101, I taught video games as literature in high school for two years. It was a great experience for the students and even the teachers who were heavily skeptical uh, eventually appreciated it. You know why? Most people don't think or don't even think about video games this way. When the class started, you would not believe the literary uh, literacy of these kids, not only in terms of basic storytelling te- concepts. This was high school, so they'd done plenty of book reports and such by now. But they couldn't even process the narrative elements of the games. We'd spend weeks talking about storytelling as they played through the game. Then I'd give them a prompt that specifically asked questions about the story and how the game told it. And the essay I'd get was basically a game review that barely mentioned the story at all. These kids had been trained to think of video games only as silly wastes of time for their enjoyment and as a result were literally unable to process the most basic narrative presence in the games they played. They experienced these stories and learned nothing from them. Seeing this improve over the school year was one of the most fulfilling things in my life. They went from complaining about glitches and how old the graphics were to contemplating what the stories meant and how their interactions helped communicate that meaning. Later in the school year, the aforementioned cynical teachers were telling me about how much more engaged and observant students were in English literature classes. Teaching them with things they enjoyed was working better than classic short stories and Newberry books. Video games are going to waste, not because they're not good enough, but because most players are literally trained not to see value in them, taught not to think too hard about them. And in recent years, sects of the gaming community uh, itself have fiercely promoted that mindset. I reject that. I think it's extremely important that people understand and learn from stories, whether they're in a book, a movie, a song, a television show, an audio drama, a comic book, or a video game, that it's not useless or that is not useless or masturbatory. It's vital. Frankly, no video game is worthy of analysis is shockingly pretentious or is a shockingly pretentious way of uh, to dodge that issue, not to mention insulting to all the creators who work so hard to tell worthwhile interactive stories in this industry. Um, so I thought that was a brilliant response. Like I said, I was just like liking every single one of those. (laughs) And I was, uh, fascinated, um, by this idea of teaching a literature class using game narrative. So I wanted to talk to you about your experience, uh, maybe just going more into depth on, on how this experience, which you described as one of the most fulfilling, uh, things you've ever done in your life and the way it changed the way these students were able to sort of like give value to game narrative but also I guess where we should start first like how did you even get that set up how did you get that approved from like the board I I would think that that would be really hard to sell
1: basically I got kind of lucky and had a few things in my favor um designing a games as literature course was my senior project in college and when i was done with college i went back to my hometown um, in northern california where there were some um charter schools which are mm-hmm. generally willing to take a few more risks with these sort yeah. of things and do things that they find interesting um, oh. that i had been involved in in the past that um I, I went ahead you know i got back from college i showed them i refined my uh senior project thing a little bit to make it a little more a little more practically feasible, and then came to them and basically said, look, I can teach a few things. You know, I, I can teach game design, uh, video production, stuff like that, and there, also there's this games as literature class that I think would be really interesting, and the kids would really enjoy, and you know, I didn't, um, I did not go to school for education specifically, which mm. was... You know, a part of why I only taught it two years and then wasn't able to make a career out of it. I need to go back to school for that. But, right. um, but it did mean that you know anything that I would teach didn't have the pressure of being something that had to be like, um, you know, fitted to a, a national or statewide standard or anything like that. Um, yeah. I just had to have, you know, basically prove that I was a good enough teacher that this would actually be useful and interesting and uh, educational.
0: And then, so did it? Did it uh, count as like an elective? Essentially,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. It wasn't like they couldn't take it to uh, fulfill their you know English requirement for that, that literature, yeah, that. yeah. But um, so so it was it was just an elective, but it was something that obviously there was a lot of you know interest in. Immediately, lots of kids signed up, and uh,
0: yeah, that, that that's well, well, that's that's that. really that's actually really interesting then because they would have been simultaneously taking their normal english class and you're saying that like those teachers those instructors were saying that because of your class they were more observant more interested in uh really analyzing storytelling in those classes why do you think that that is uh put simply when you meet
1: people where they're at there it tends to work better you know it's it's hard to like i loved English classes as a kid that's why I got my degree in English but a lot of kids don't they're not really into reading they they have they're not really interested in the whole process of kind of digging into something and figuring out what it's saying and why it's saying it and you know that's yeah it's it's not for everyone it's not something that everyone is has an interest in but by sort of moving that away from books that they may or may not have had an interest in already into video games, which, you know, obviously the kids who signed up for this class were playing them already. Um, it, it required a lot of, as the, as the uh, tweet storm hints at, a lot of reframing of their thinking, but it was something that they were already a little more interested in. Um, video games were something that they... Oh, sorry. I thought my cat was scratching at something, but it's just starting to rain. Okay.
0: Oh, you're good. Oh, nice. you're good.
1: <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't come through the mic, but we'll see. No, you're good so um, far. But yeah, I mean, the, the kids were just, they were interested in what was going on, like a little more initially invested. And so kind of bringing the concepts from literature and analysis into this world that they were already invested in, I, I think just kind of made it so they were a little more eager and willing to really look into it and learn about it. Hmm. I got a
2: couple questions. What, like, what, what
1: kind of games did you cover in the class? Um, Mostly games that were... The hardest thing about this on a practical level is that, you know, those, like, giant books that you would get, like, this thick that were, like, anthologies of American short stories or whatever. Yes, I've got a couple of those, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those don't exist for video games? No, no. (laughs) Like, there's it's really hard to get a library of video games that are easily accessible to the kids that you can count on them being able to play.
2: Oh
0: yeah, I'm sure that was a huge challenge.
2: That was my follow up question. How did you assign homework? Like how did you ensure that these kids were participating in the games that you were talking about?
0: Yeah, those two questions
1: are very intrinsically linked. So (laughs) um, essentially when I picked the games, um, I chose games that were either old enough games or simple enough like indie games and stuff. To be sure that they would be able to run on anyone's computer. Um, I got... Basically, the school, thankfully, gave me a bit of a budget. Not a oh lot, but a bit of a budget to acquire some games. So I got a few Steam accounts, uh, put some of the games on there, basically told the students you're going to have to have access to a Windows PC because I can't. Necess- it's a lot harder to do this when yeah. you know, I have to make sure it's Windows and Mac compatible. Right. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> too much of a limitation, at least. Uh-huh. Um, and then they also gave me enough of a budget that I was able to pick up some cheap physical copies of some of the games for like PS2, GameCube, Xbox, you know, for whatever. Cause by that point we were well in the PS3, Xbox 360 era, but you know, those consoles were still able to play those games. So I, mm. um, for the most part, the PS3 being somewhat of an exception, but, um, so yeah, I got a few of those and put them in the library. Um, Let's see. The first game we talked about was Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time. Just because that was a, yeah, it's a simple enough story with an easily extracted moral that I figured was enough of like, you know, a mainstream cool action parkour game to, that it wouldn't be too hard for the kids to get invested in it. Uh, We played bastion. um, Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. A variety of uh, like, you know, free little art games uh, on the, uh, I'm forgetting which ones we played. Uh, I think we played loved um, passage, of course. Um, and some others. It's been a little while. I'd have to look at my notes for those. Um, oh, let's see. Beyond Good and Evil took a bit of a look oh. at um, at Knights of the Older Public to talk about Western RPGs. Sweet. Um, JRPGs were harder because they didn't have Final Fantasy games on Steam then. So I uh, yeah,
2: right. They didn't at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I had to improvise there. I had like a couple options, and we talked more about uh, style and such than the details of that game just because I couldn't really have one game accessible to everyone. <laughs> unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we just, we talked about a variety of games. Um, the main thing just being that they had to be accessible enough that I could get them on steam or on older consoles and then have them available to the kids to play. So.
0: Mm. So going back to what you said a little while ago, I, I, I loved English too. That was my favorite subject in school. Mm. And I remember, I think it was sophomore year uh we were going through like the odyssey and the iliad and the hobbit yeah. and stuff like that and so we were learning about the hero's journey and uh one of the assignments that was given to the class was to like use all of the uh all of the elements of the hero's journey basically in our own five-page little short story uh that we would create and i just loved it i was like I, I went all in. I wrote like 120 pages and like, I'm still working on that story all the way till today. But I remember how much complaining there was in the class. Like everyone was like, Oh man, like, I don't want to do this. And like, I, we were, you know, sharing and proofreading each other's stuff. And I just could tell like nobody's hearts was into it except for me. Um, And, and people just really weren't like getting into it. And, I, I think you're right to say that like the insistence on on using classic literature I mean as as much as like I think people should be familiar with those stories and yeah, with sure. with with the way that the stories are told, the elements, how it's being done, the the techniques there um, it it might be better to use something a little bit more, Modern and, and outside of just literature using video games or maybe movies or something like that to like get kids interested in the idea of breaking down a story and understanding how it's being told. And then sort of like trying to bring in like the more of the classic literature into it. Um, so how what was that process like for you? Because you said at the start they were really, really bad at it. <laughs> they were giving you game reviews. But then, like, how long did that take before they started to really, like, become passionate, get invested in the storytelling aspect?
1: Well, it was different for every student, of course. Um, I did have, you know, a couple kind of star pupils that caught on right off the bat. gave Good good essays right from the get-go. But most of them, it was harder. Like, literally one of the most discussed elements of Prince of Persia, right after we played that, was how it was annoying that Farah sometimes shot you with a bow. And she wasn't <laughs> supposed to. Like, <laughs> went on and on about that. And I'm just sitting up at the front, like, "What? Okay, yes, <laughs> guys, that's what we're here to talk about." It was just, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, of course, some talk about the graphics came up, stuff like that. Um, and that was just kind of of most of it for a while. And I was surprised even then when I got the first round of essays in because I had specific prompts. I talked about, you know, talk about that. A prompt, for instance, I'm pretty sure for Prince of Persia was something about um, outlining and um, and sort of trying to, to explain and understand the prince's basic character arc from, you know, spoiled, rich, privileged brat to a more mature man. And, yeah. you know, that's a simple enough prompt, like, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of what I got nonetheless was not just talked about the game holistically in terms of like gameplay systems and stuff like that, like a game review would, but was structured like a game review. They would talk about, you know, game's graphics and how good they were and then the game's gameplay and how good it was. And they would talk about the game's story, but even then it would end on, you know, I think this game was good and I would recommend it, you know, something like that, which obviously isn't part of that essay prompt. That's just what, it was astounding to me to realize that, video game reviews are pretty much the only writing on video games that these kids had been exposed to at all. Like mm. that's just what they thought it all was, was how good is this game and why? So, you know, it was, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, go ahead. Finish oh, your
1: way. It, it was, it was a bit of a shift for sure. Um, and it did take a little while, but you go ahead and say what you're going to say.
0: Well, I was just, I was just going to say that um, I was thinking back Uh, On kind of like my own experience because because we were talking about how kids are trained almost like they've been trained to think of games as a waste of time just something to do for entertainment pure entertainment value escapism whatever it's not there's nothing meaningful in it but I look back on like my experience playing video games and that's kind of how I thought of it as a kid as a really little kid. Uh, because we had an NES and I played like Tecmo Super Bowl and Super Mario Brothers three and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that on there. And, uh, but usually for me, it was like something I did on a rainy day. I, I liked to go outside and I liked to play sports and stuff like that when I was, when I was a kid, but my, my mom really didn't like how much we played, uh, on the NES. So she didn't let us get the super Nintendo. Yeah. So it wasn't until the N64 PS1 era that I kind of really got back into it again. And that's when I played Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, but especially Final Fantasy seven. Yeah. And I remember like, you know, I really enjoyed um, the Princess Bride and like um, uh, <clears throat> Neverending Story and, and some other uh, fantasy based movies, the Dark Crystal and stuff like that growing up. Um, they, they really roped me in like the, the I really liked the idea of, oh, I'd like to make something like that someday. But it wasn't until I played Final Fantasy seven where it was like I was invested like wholly in a story like just completely obsessively driven to like find out what's happening next in the story. Mm. Um, and it's interesting that 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 for me was kind of where I I developed this passion and this love for storytelling was with final fantasy seven. It came from a game first and then it kind of moved into like Lord of the Rings a couple of years after that. And I was reading novels more and mm-hmm. getting into filmmaking and stuff like that. But it, it is interesting that like for me, at least that derived that first happened, that fire was initially lit from a video game story. Yeah. So is that something that, is true for you as well, or is that something that uh, maybe some of the the staff came around on later, <laughs> like because you're saying they were so skeptical at first, but oh, yeah. that they really started accepting it at the end? What do you think? What do you think had to be done to sort of break, I guess, that perception that video games are just a waste of time? Mainly, I mean, for one, I'm not sure that perception was necessarily completely broken for a
1: lot. <laughs> of- <laughs> oh, sure. Um, but mostly, it was just seeing the results. I guess because, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of skepticism at first. I had a parent uh, who contacted me asking if I was going to make their kid play Grand Theft Auto, and I <laughs> they were like high schoolers PG thirteen movies without a permission slip. Of course, I'm not like, well, sure. gonna right. Auto, uh, <laughs> and you know, a, a bunch of teachers just didn't really understand. I had a substitute teacher come in once and basically plan something like really easy because I knew that she wouldn't be able to actually talk about video games in this way in much detail um and afterwards she said that she had gotten confused because she thought that we were reading books about video games like didn't (laughs) realize that the class was actually about video games that have stories in them like right um so yeah there, there was a lot of coming around to do and i think that a lot of what did it was specifically for the teachers that were teaching literature classes is that as has been mentioned, like they noticed that the kids in my class had over the course of the school year taken a significantly higher interest in their literature class, which that observation wasn't without its own patronizing elements. If I remember right, the word they used was real literature for <laughs> what the kids are <laughs> in their classes now. So, you know, I, I what I can get like it. It had just become clear to them, I guess, that whatever was the deal with this weird video game story class, it was making their kids more interested in and better at the elements of of literary criticism and narrative analysis that they were trying to teach them in their class. And, you know, I I don't know if any of the teachers particularly evolved past that point, (laughs) but... Hey, it's a step forward. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It's something in any case. Right. Um, you got to take your victories as small well as they are where, where you find them. Yeah. You
2: know, w- one of the funny things that as, as I hear you talking specifically about like it, teachers and teaching, I, I used to work at a lot of elementary schools and I actually substitute taught for like a Spanish teacher once for like second grade. Anyways, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. But um, like as far as like teaching and Getting good at teaching and like pedagogy and like methods of teaching, gamification is one of the best things that you can do for to help your kids learn. Right. And it's so funny how adverse people are to video games. But then in class, they do things like gamify, they do activities, they try and make things fun, they have students role play, like reading a script back and forth uh, for like a play. Like I remember we did that with Shakespeare or with the crucible, every kid was assigned like a role and you'd say this and you're the narrator or um, like you sing songs or you're always trying to seek some kind of interactivity with your students. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but video games are stupid. You just, you just, all you do is just play games. You know, that's not, but it's like, no, that's what you're doing anyways. You're, you're trying to gamify this stuff so that, because it's true t- all teachers know this kids learn better when they're having fun when they're involved, when they're, when it's interactive, when they feel like it means something to them, you know? And like, I I think people don't realize to the extent that gamification is already used in teaching that just playing a game isn't all that different from what they're already doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I did try some elements of that in my class too. Like not a lot, just mostly in how like the grading was structured and like, you know, a lot of it's honestly just kind of a change in how, uh, how points are measured, and uh terminology, you know, extra yeah sure is side quests or whatever, and you know you give yeah. points for completing things instead of you know giving them oh that's fun. <laughs> however many points you know, yeah letter grades or whatever, but yeah, that was fun to do, and yeah, it's certainly like the fact is that video games in order to be uh, uh like video games have to teach you how to play and how to sure. uh, interact with them and stuff like that. And the techniques that they use for that can be helpful in education in general. And yeah, I think a lot of people yeah. are more dismissive of that than they should be for sure.
0: You yeah, know, I think... I learned oh, more
2: about the rules of basketball than I from playing basketball games than I did actually playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> now, at yeah. some point you do have to get out and actually play the game to figure things out, but just playing the video game, like you can get a pretty good idea of like, you know, that kind of stuff of the rules of the game, you know? Yeah. What were you saying, like, Mike? Uh, yeah.
0: quick comment from from rob real quick he said if you tried getting them to act out prince of persia you have a lot of kids falling on their faces yeah playing well. the, the parkour and wall running and <laughs> gymnastics <laughs> and stuff um been. oh i want
1: to point out one thing also because you talked about yeah. assignment that you did of uh of uh using the hero's journey stuff for your own yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah i did something sort of similar with that i mean not super similar i guess but it just reminded me of another game that I'd include, which I'd forgotten about. We talked about emergent narrative and the kids played Minecraft, which of course, oh, cool. the kids were already playing Minecraft. This was yeah, 13. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Everyone was playing Minecraft. exactly. Uh, but they, what I had them do, because you know, we were talking about how a video game can, instead of tell a story, facilitate a story to be created through your actions. And so I had them play Minecraft for a bit and then write... Like turn what happened in their gameplay into a story. Into a story. That's exactly. Oh,
0: that's a great it, idea. Yeah, idea. narrative
2: yeah. Is one of the great things about like even simple games like Pokemon Go or something yeah. like that, where it's like, yeah, there's not really a story, but there kind of is. Like you can make your own story. You're
1: part of the story. It's your yeah. story. You know, it's yeah. so cool. It's a very different kind of thing, and it's kind of hard to talk about in more of a like traditional literary sense, because it's yeah. more about creating a story that like emergent stories from a game will generally not have as much directed or intentional or well-produced meaning as a story that a game tells just because that's sure kind of how that works, but it it was still something worth looking at. especially because the yeah. class wasn't just about, you know, what does this story mean? It was about how did these games tell these stories in an interesting and in, in an interesting way. That's only a thing games could do.
0: Right. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So it was, it was a lot of fun to do that and kind of see, what people did. I had one student write up this whole story about how she like had a sheep that she kind of accepted as her pet and then lost it in a cave and went to find <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: That's it. That's awesome. Uh, it was a lot I don't know, you can
2: derive some really deep meaning from that, you know,
0: you certainly can. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. I, I would love to try that out uh, for like breath of the wild or something. Cause there were so oh, many sure. times when I just got, totally like sidetracked doing something or, or even Skyrim would probably be a good one to try that with. Yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. Where you're just like, you're, you're maybe heading this way to do something. Uh, you have like a waypoint maybe you're going towards, but you just, you veer off and you just find these bandits or you find this like camp over here. And then this crazy mm-hmm. thing happens. And, uh, I think, I think it's when we had, we had gotten that advanced copy of breath of the wild and I was yeah. kind of doing my playthrough of it and I was yeah. exploring. And then I found that like, Troll and he chased me, but I my camera was pointed away from the cliff that I was running towards because I was looking back behind me you were at the trying monster. To make it and I was tonight. trying to throw bombs and and shoot stuff and and all of a sudden I fell off a cliff. I'm like, what the freak? And I like <laughs> pull out the the hang glider thing and I'm like falling down and then I like you know there's just so many. Cool... funnier though,
2: it's like out of the frying pan into
0: the fryer kind of thing. Because yes, after
2: you fell down, I think you encountered a guardian in that yeah, forest. Yeah, the first we ever or seen, stone we were giant like, or... oh shoot.
0: It was like the craziest yeah. experience I've had with emergent narrative like that, where yeah. it's just like the the experience of just being there exploring, like kind of turned into this really interesting sequence of events that like had an arc of its own. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> anyways, that's a, that's a really cool idea, like to, to have the kids write a story of their emergent gameplay and like turn that into I a, think story it's a great as, idea. <laughs> Yeah, I wish you were
2: teaching at my high school. I know.
0: Seriously. (laughs) I would have loved that. Yeah. Um, But, but real quick, going back to what Kason was saying, I, I think that's just, it's such a huge shame. It's not necessarily surprising, but it is a really, really, it's just too bad that games, I guess in the media got so much attention for their violence and for the you know, the fear of the effect that that violence was going to have on kids and whether it would make them uh, act yeah. out more violently. And the fact that, uh, you know, that became like a political talking point and it got a lot of people scared. And yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, there needed to be some form of, of like a rating system. So that that's, that's something good that came out of the pressure. Yeah. But I think that overall, I mean, I grew up with that stigma like thinking that you know my parents told me that like you should be doing this instead this this is not a good use of your time sure um and it's like you only do this if you if you can't have something else more productive to do right if there's really nothing else to do sure. sometimes my, my mom would say <laughs> Yeah, sometimes my mom would see me playing a game and she would try to like give me a chore to do instead. You know, like yeah. go do something else, anything else. Don't sit in front of the TV like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I grew up sort of like believing that that's, that's all there was to it. And that's why it was such just this an amazing eye-opening experience when I played Final Fantasy VII for the first time. And when I played Ocarina of Time, although Ocarina of Time doesn't have as much of... A narrative focuses final fantasy does but it was just like holy crap like i'm i'm feeling something i i like i'm relating to these characters as if they are people like this is right. incredible and i think it was all the more effective because of the interactivity because i was involved i was learning right and the fact that that has not made its way more into schools and into curriculum like using video games, the, t- the tutorial sort of like process to teach kids about grammar, to teach kids about all of these other things. Like, I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand why. <laughs> but <laughs> right. at the same time, I don't because to me, it would be so much more effective to-, to help it stick in the brain. If you're interacting, if you're if you're doing something engaging and fun. While you're learning the curriculum or the principle or whatever it might be, yep. like, uh, you know, like a more advanced math blaster, you know, for like right. algebra, not for algebra, for um, for more advanced mathematics would have been awesome for me because I really struggled with math. Uh, well, you know, that's something sort of about um, what do you call it, like with Breath of the Wild, how they had
2: their like the physics engine, well, any game with the physics engine, I guess, but um. I think with Breath of the Wild what did they call it they did they what is it when you freeze an object in time and you're hitting it and you're building up
0: yeah. like oh kinetic kinetic or...
2: energy yeah yeah and yeah. and it's like and then it's all released all at once and but but the concept of kinetic like propulsion I guess like it 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 it's the, that game teaches it extremely well in terms of like a principle of physics or or you know even with the Like the magnet and all that kind of stuff. The um, anyway, some of the stuff you can do in Breath of the Wild, I think, is like on the level of like teaching physics with like a hands-on way, in a way that hands-on you just can't have. I remember having that explained to me. Like I, I know, like kinetic energy had been explained to me. When I was in high school, I did not freaking know what it was, but you play Breath of the Wild and it's like, oh, it makes sense. You're building up the force and it all just kind of goes and oh sweet. Yeah. So there's I, like I, this the, there's like stored energy and it's just waiting to be released.
0: Potential energy versus
2: Yeah, potential yeah.
0: energy, right. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I played games that tried to do stuff like that, you know, way back in the day, but unfortunately entertainment games aren't as popular as they used to be. They don't mm-hmm. super exist now, which I think is kind of yeah. sad. But
2: well, didn't uh, Prince of Persia have that Egypt one? Where they, uh, no, not the, Prince of Persia, uh, Assassin's uh, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. They made some Egypt pyramid thing that was meant for yeah. educational purposes. I don't know how successful that was though.
1: In Assassin's Creed origins where you could just explore and find out about all this stuff instead of, you know, playing Assassin's yeah. Creed, And it was, it was
2: cool. the things like that would be so perfect for a classroom, but, but was, I don't know. I I've never really heard anywhere that that was that's, ever actually that's used. Such, any that's such degree.
0: a good point because know, like, it, but I don't know. I haven't played the more recent Assassin's Creed games. They kind of got old for me. But I do remember that when I was really into the series, I was researching the historical figures. I was actually getting interested in the time period. And, like, imagine if they did. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, my sophomore uh, social studies class, which I think was world history. And like they they went over like the Edo period in Japan, oh yeah, and some other things. But like, imagine instead of reading that in a textbook with some I don't know tiny little art sort of like inserted in there, if you had something interactive, you could like walk through Edo. You could like yes, walk yeah walk up and speak to you know the emperor at the time, um the shogun, you know like stuff like that. Like that would that would be That's so valuable. much more memorable. Yeah. You would you would you would care about the stuff that you're learning yeah and it's amazing to me that they have not that i guess like mainstream curriculum has not seen the potential in that more yeah and that they've just continually dismissed video games as being a waste of time
2: you know what this is another one how often have you seen this tweet it's probably more of a couple years ago than now but people saying i have a phd in physics And Kerbal Space Program. I learned more through Kerbal (laughs) Space Program than I did my entire schooling
0: for physics. Yes,
2: exactly. There's something about doing that you learn better. And there's something about video games that let you do things you can't normally do. And like just those two things being put together is like unbelievably valuable. But nobody's ever going to get hired as a physicist based on the fact that they play Kerbal Space Program. Yeah, board. for sure.
1: <laughs> I have seen some people try and include stuff like that. Like I, um, oh gosh, I think it was at PAX when I went, which I forget exactly when that was. It was like 2013 or something. But um, there was someone there talking about how um, if they're hiring for a leadership position and someone puts uh, their position as a leader of a World of Warcraft guild on their resume, they will actually consider that because they know how much really actual like leadership skill it takes. Well, to that, that, that yeah, sure. Because that's
2: a huge competitive game. You really do actually have to have leadership skills to do something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's like all of this, you know, really just comes down to the spirit of what I was trying to say in those tweets and stuff. Like there is this, the thing is that we're taught to see value in books. Like from a young age, whether we enjoy the classes or not, whether we really learn from them or not, we're still taught that these things are valuable and we're taught why and we're taught how to look and see what value they have. Um, And books are really the only thing that we've done that with a bit from movies for sure. Like enough that we can still recognize what a movie is saying more often than not, but still Mm -hmm. mostly just books and books are great. I love books. I loved books before I ever found out that video games could tell stories, but I, I, I think that it's really tragic that they're for some reason, the only things that we encourage people to learn from and that in the case of video games, we so actively discourage that that we have to, you know actually tell kids like, hey, don't do that. It's useless. That doesn't contribute anything to your life. When it could if, you know, if you actually like helped them learn how to do that or helped them know yeah. how to apply what they're learning about books or something to that. And to see that kind of attitude creep its way into video game communities also, I think is just something that I'm really kind of disappointed by because the more we start looking at stories and looking at what video games mean we of course have to consider like how they apply to the real world and you know now when you look at a video game and say oh hey well this is talking about this political idea the whole slew of people come in like hey stop talking about
2: right don't politicize
1: our games right which
2: which is a strike because a lot of literature tends
1: to be political that's why you get banned you know books
2: and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? and I just think it's and,
1: that we're yeah. like that, that we're at a point now where some people think that defending video games from the people who think that they're bad means trying to stop them f- to stop us from recognizing what they mean, or to stop the game development right. giving them meaning. And that's I don't know. You know, that's a good point actually. I hadn't thought of that. If they had, if we had been taught this from the beginning, that we could get something yeah. out of these games, but. You
2: know, it be crazy because I know that like books and movies have at times produced like political movements. Mm-hmm. I know that after the movie Braveheart came out, there was a big Scottish independence like yeah. movement of like or, or like people didn't really care about the Rwandan genocide until the movie Hotel Rwanda came out. And then it was like, yeah. oh, why didn't America intervene? And it's like, well, OK. And then it becomes this big deal. Right. And yeah. But I have yet to see a video game. Other than like the whole like mass shooters play video games or whatever, right. like that that zero to no connection that people <laughs> think that they've found. Um, other than that, I haven't seen any real politicization saying, oh, this game has has created this political movement, you know? Yeah. I, I haven't been able to see any of it. But it's like the potential's there. And it's happened with other mediums, even like movies, which is a relatively new medium culturally. Yeah. And you know, it's gonna happen with video games at some point, but people have to not be afraid to put political politically motivated content into their into their games it does hurt your bottom line sometimes though i mean you see that with other things like the nfl (laughs) that had never really been political and somehow it's sort of starting to get political and it's causing loss of advertisers and viewership drops and all that kind of stuff like there is a, a balance to be played but at the same time there's also potential there for for cultural movement you know
1: yeah, and that—that's the thing is, I think that games could have that same kind of cultural relevance sure. that other things do. I mean, you know, that so it's more of a good yeah. thing when the okay, that's cool. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that, I mean that—that's my thought at least. I just sure. yeah, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, I like all throughout my childhood was fighting for video games to be recognized as something that had value, and I'm, you know, sure. I want that to continue being how it is, even though that does yeah. come with. You know, sometimes it does dealing with what they mean and recognizing sure. problems that might be recurrent in them or whatever, but with the goal of making them better. Right. And I, you know, I'm annoyed that a lot of people now think that the best way to, to defend them is just to say that they can't shouldn't mean anything. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, remember having realized what they're saying when they say that. Right. I, I remember having conversations with I, I used to work at a GameStop probably seven, eight years ago, something like that. And one of the one of the assistant managers there, he and I would get into debates about this exact issue, really like he, he kind of embodies, I think, that idea that like games should just to keep all that political stuff out of my games. I don't I don't want deeper meaning. I just want to have fun and it's like okay that's that is fine if that's what you're looking for you know if that's if that's really all you just want to use it as escapism there's no problem with that but the idea that like they shouldn't have this in it uh again Ever. i think just misses Ever. misses how and this is the reason why for most of my life i i am like hugely passionate about storytelling But I've spent way more time as far as consuming stuff with games than I have with novels or with movies or with anything else. Sure. Because the interactive, there's something about that interactive element that makes it stick more for me. It makes it more meaningful. Mm -hmm. It it, uh, resonates more when I feel like I'm participating than when I'm just observing. Yeah. And I think with all the stuff we've talked about, about how interactivity sort of like I don't know, it it, it just really sets fire to the learning process. Um and, and and it makes you more engaged with what with what you're consuming. I think that there is so much potential for the stuff you guys are talking about, more so even in games. Of course, it's it's a young medium, it's emerging and it's become I mean, I think it's it, it makes more money now than the, the, the video game industry makes way more money now than the movie industry oh, yeah. as, as a whole,
2: all of it combined. Yeah. yeah. Cause there's yeah. just so many games that come out now
0: <laughs> and like, you know, with games being in the palm of your hand and everything like that, yeah. everyone's, everyone's gaming now, really, whether right. they think traditionally about like a, a controller in the hand, console gaming or whatever on, at home. Yeah. But there's just, I think so much more potential there. For that kind of meaning that people are insisting you can, you should only get, or you should really look for in, in novels or something like that, or in books. And I don't know, I, I just really appreciated your thoughts on that on Twitter. And it just like, I just, just agreed so wholeheartedly with the fact that like, we need to like break through this illusion or this idea that a medium is somehow inherently uh i don't know like either problematic or just like not not valuable it doesn't yeah, like have merit of this kind of yeah kind of like it can't have the same depth or or, or explore in in mm-hmm. unique ways inherently unique to that medium mm-hmm. the same ideas that could be explored anywhere else yeah so anyways um right super interesting
2: stuff so what is the value of video game narrative <laughs> it it is infinitely Inme- immeasurable <laughs> yes oh, immeasurably I, I valuable when i had brought up a kerbal space program I also another game came to my mind which is civilization right oh like course. in terms of political affairs and like pol- political science and stuff like that international relations civilization is one of the greatest experiences that you could have in like figuring out and like learning how all that stuff kind of works yeah that's
0: pretty cool that way <laughs> Got an interesting comment here from Uvej. I, I hope I'm saying your name right. I don't think Final Fantasy VII would be as good if it avoided the ecological uh, message—the yeah. fight against the exploitation of the Earth and the people—and most people don't That's consider true. FF seven as political. I was gonna. No,
1: not at all. <laughs> also, because yeah, I, I absolutely look forward to the re-release to you know the remake the because remake, I don't, yeah. the, the, One of the unfortunate side effects of this whole phenomenon we've been talking about where people are kind of trained not to see value in games is that they'll play these games and active, like just not even see what the story is saying. They won't realize. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who are going to come into this remake however much they love Final Fantasy 7, not remembering that the story starts off with you literally playing as an eco terrorist. You're a freaking it, terrorist! Like <laughs> a super, super late stage yeah. dystopian capitalist nightmare <laughs> in order yeah, to dude. make the world from means of energy production that are destroying it. Like, it is... Highly and overtly political, and I look forward Absolutely. to seeing how many people won't remember that and will complain mm-hmm. about how they've politicized Final Fantasy 7 Because I think there are going to be a lot, a lot of takes like that.
2: People are going to complain about. It. They'll say, "Oh, they're they're ta- they're pushing the global warming agenda. They're yeah. talking about environmentalism and destruction of this and that, and oil." And but, but the, the truth true. is, it always was doing that. But here's yeah. the difference, though: Final Fantasy VII, being in a little fantasy world, it was easier to ignore that kind of stuff. It wasn't oil. It was you know, Mako energy. It wasn't yeah. like the world wasn't getting warmer. It was it had this, this other, it was just dying. Just some <laughs> other weird death from some other weird thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was it just felt removed from earth. If that same exact story had been told, but ooh, it was set in New York city and somebody bombed a Which it plant, originally was oil, supposed to and, be. Yeah. Then, then people would be like, what the heck, what are you doing, man? This is stupid. I think people would have noticed it more. Yeah. But with Final Fantasy VII, it was a fantasy world. And it was like, yeah, you know.
1: And it was 1997 that no politics and video games movement really only started like relatively recently. I'd say around, I I, want to say it really kicked off in 2014 and people who, you know, were really up on video games might recognize it. It really
2: started around 2014. I'm noticing (laughs) a lot of the political politicization of a lot of this stuff happened right around there.
1: Yeah. So it's, I think yeah. that's when um
2: Anidia Sarkeesian became, and then Gamergate kind of followed yeah, the, around that whole Gamergate era, era, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's where everything kind of fractioned a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was just... uh I just finished uh, a playthrough of Final Fantasy VII, the Switch version, yeah. which I loved. Uh I I loved that I could speed up the game times three and master all yes. my material way faster <laughs> yeah. and turn off random encounters when I wanted to do that. I uh, freaking loved it. As, as a a way to replay a game you've played a bunch of times. The Switch yeah, version is yeah. amazing, for sure. Um, but one of my favorite, favorite, favorite little like subtle themes that they played on was that wrestling that the main characters did, especially later in the game with with what they did at the beginning uh, when like right. Kate Sith just like calls out bear it directly like do you have any idea how many people died because of what you did
2: well maybe that's and, why nobody noticed it though and it seems like the remake is going to change that up a bit the yes remake exactly looks like they're going to address what they're doing and how they're killing people like right away at the beginning and that may they've, call attention more than it did in the original game
0: they've really made a point in the yeah. trailers they've showed so far to like have the characters like Uncertain about it. Tifa is really right. struggling. Like, I don't know if this is the right way to do it. Mm. And in, uh, the Avalanche members, is, 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 did we do that? And, and Barrett trying to like distract them, like, nothing can get done without sacrifice. You know, right. I think they are really going to play that up a bit more, which I'm excited for. I hope that they, again, don't hit us on the nose with a sledgehammer with it. Right. Uh, I, I would like it to be more of a subtle part of the story like it originally was, but definitely more stated because i do think a lot of people missed it like you guys are saying. exactly
2: yeah
0: yeah, yeah. To, to the game's benefit probably you right. know, say <laughs> was, most people <laughs> then, like, missed the
1: political message totally true, though, that there are games from back then that had extremely overt political messages that people either missed or didn't care about like metal gear solid as oh, an Example. True. metal gear solid has multiple long monologues about like war mm-hmm. and government exploitation of soldiers and nuclear bombs and like all all sorts of things like that. And yet there, you know, not only did no one really complain about it back then, there are people now who will insist that Hideo Kojima's work is not political, which is an (laughs) extra level of media illiteracy. (laughs) I think to claim that, but I don't know.
0: All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, Let's move real quickly into, we have three questions from our audience today. Uh, We'll go over these and then we'll wrap up. Uh, the first one comes from Dude McGuy. He says, "Of all the games that you've reviewed or analyzed on your channels, which of them do you think would be improved the most? Which game would be improved the most, not review, uh, if if it had a remaster that included a rewrite or a new localization of the original script?" You have one that comes to your mind? Uh, we just same. talked about. Oh, new localization. I see.
2: But yeah. we just talked about Final Fantasy
0: Seven remake, drawing more sure. attention to the political aspects. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
2: That's
1: I one thing. I think Final Fantasy Seven would uh, benefit from that for sure, but I feel like there are more and for that matter, I guess the question was about stuff I've gone the over.
0: Ones that we've that we've done
1: are um, yeah. Yeah, true, true. Okay. For one I think the obvious answer to to that would be Metroid Other M, because I did do a video about that, Uh, and that mm. would benefit from a general rewrite and redo of everything. It was awful, (laughs) but uh, on a more serious, actual, like, you know, note of benefit, probably Legend of Dragoon. Mm. It was... I I hadn't played it until I was asked to. I did not fall in love with it as much as some fans of the game, you know, from back when it came out have, but... I mean, it's got a lot of interesting things going for it, but I, I think it suffered from the same kinds of uh, writing and localization issues that even more yeah. high-profile ones like Final Fantasy did at the time, and I think it would definitely <laughs> benefit from Im- improvement on that front. I, I'm sure there are a lot of yeah. games, especially like older Japanese games, that would benefit from a bit more emphasis on the writing and then just a better localization in general, Um but yeah, I, I think Dragoon of the ones that I've talked about on my channel would be the most drastically improved by Sure. Yeah, by, by that process.
2: Wasn't Dragoon had... the one where the guy's like, God, it's locked.
0: Yep. We were we were <laughs> We so were funny. we were losing it on a stream that we did of Legend of Dragoon. Like, dude, no it's I just the, it's the wording of it that made it feel kind of like whiny or complaining rather than like yeah. just a bit exasperated. Like ah, oh, it's locked, dang yeah. it!
1: Like yeah. I, I kept it running. <laughs> so, I occasionally like just took a picture of my PSP uh, my PS Vita screen while I was playing it and posted it to Twitter. Like this is a weird
0: line. <laughs> yeah, yeah right another-
1: he like looks at a fireplace if, if you you know try to select the fireplace, he says something like the fire puts me in the mood to do it like with quotes around it and I'm like, whoa, did <laughs>
2: He thought they were being subtle. I don't know I guess I don't <laughs> uh,
0: for me the answer is is easily Xenogears. gears. Um, I need to I ha- see that. I haven't I haven't yet done a review for Suikoden 2. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of playing through it right now, but I actually would give give that as like a runner-up answer. Because like, and I'll just quickly go through the Sweagedon, but getting back to Zeno Gears. Sweeton one had a bit of a lighter tone. It like the tone really matched, I guess, like everything just felt right. It felt like a Saturday morning cartoon kind of thing. So like um the the weird line here or there, you know, sort of like the problems with the localization from that time didn't really like stand out a lot to me in Suikoden 1. Whereas in Suikoden 2, they were telling something a lot deeper. They were, you could tell they were really going for something, uh, more dramatic. And, um, and so that kind of clash with I mean, there, there are lines I started on my stream, uh, counting the number of exclamation marks that they were putting after certain things they had some lines where guys were doing like nine exclamation marks and just like really, really weird grammatical choices, word choice, um, just things not sounding very natural. So I, th- I think sweet 2 could really use an update in terms of its script. I think that that for me really held it back even more so than, I mean, because all these Japanese games struggled with that at the time Final Fantasy seven did. Uh, and people like to point out, you know, this guy are sick and, yeah. and things yeah, like that, yeah, but like, <laughs> but like Final Fantasy seven was miles ahead of Suikoden two on that account. Yeah. Like there are a lot more really weird, just, just grammatical errors and just like weird way of putting things. So that's one for sure. Dude, McGuy, the way he, the way he put that in the chat there, that's almost exactly like what they would do in, in Sweden two lines. <laughs> um, so but no xenogears for sure um because like that is just just a total uh, it's it it messes with your head and it's a very complex story and it's very I, i remember finishing the game and being like i really don't know how i feel about this game but then when i read perfect works the ancillary sort of, um, material that helps you like understand the timeline and all this stuff. It's like, this is the greatest freaking story ever. This is amazing. (laughs) And I think people tend to, at least it's true for me. I can't speak for other people, but people tend to remember the game more fondly, uh, because when you've had time to chew on it and think about it and analyze it and, and look at all the references that, uh, that Takahashi was using for it. Uh, the the philosophy behind it. It's just, like, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, but, like, the game is a bit frustrating uh, in terms of its word choice. But the, but the problem is... is and, and Richard Honeywood, the guy who translated it, is amazingly talented. I mean, his work for Square has been great over the years. This was his very first project. He did it alone, and he did it in a couple of months. And his experience there made him go to the higher ups and be like, listen, this is not the way you should be doing it. We need this much time. We need this, this, the, you know, this, this team assembled specifically for this and this person needs to do this and this how, and their, their localizations since that time have become, they became much, much better. You think of Final Fantasy VIII afterwards, which was way improved over Mm seven and Final Fantasy IX, which was excellent. And, and beyond that, you know, they've been, they've been really good. Uh, And it was from his hell of an experience on Xenogears that he basically established their rules for how they should be localizing games moving forward. And so I think Xenogears could really, really use an update in terms of a a better localization, not only because of the fact that it was rushed, but because it's such a dense story to begin with. And it's hard to, to, to understand already. So having problems in the script to compound that just... Yeah, just leads to a lot of confusion. So,
1: yeah. You know, I want to throw in real quick because I'd forgotten about this, but I think in terms of like a complete overhaul. Oh, I guess this wasn't on my channel. That's why I didn't say it. But Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy 2 would be a good opportunity also i think not two as in uh, american 2 that's actually for actual yeah. final <laughs> it's like if we're not just talking about localization but also just general like redoing sort of in the way that the final fantasy 7 remake is mm, right like, final fantasy II has a pretty compelling start like you know the idea of these four close friends and then one of them gets separated and is basically the bad guy and like there's there's a lot of potential drama there but yeah. this was an nes game and right. the second final fantasy game and it delivers so poorly, it's one of my least favorite of the series. So yeah. you know, I, I I think that it would benefit from a but yeah, anyway, that just popped into my mind.
0: Yeah, FF2 is is one of the games, one of the most hated Final Fantasy games for sure. Yeah. But I really I really liked it, especially as an NES concept. Like I thought it was a really nice step forward, narratively speaking, from the first game, which was already pretty like stand out for an NES game yeah. in terms of like you know, its kind it of the you know. kind of ambitious for the time. I'll I'll give it that. Absolutely. <laughs> um okay. Case and have that? I only
2: ever reviewed games that were really well translated. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Older <laughs> you, Nintendo do. games and then Kingdom Hearts was was actually well localized, I think. So oh yeah. The, the what Disney localized Kingdom Hearts and then Nintendo's always been good with localization. So yeah. That's all on that.
0: Okay. Uh, Paradise asks our next, next question. From the list of games you've previously reviewed, has your opinion on any of these video games changed since you finished your reviews? Uh, what are a couple, if any, and are there plans to update or re-review any of those that you've reviewed before? Uh, I, I guess I'll start. I I I've, I think I've said this before, but I'm def- I'm going to be re-releasing my entire Final Fantasy series all at once. When that's going to happen, I have no idea, but (laughs) there's a lot of, um, areas where it was like, there are new interviews that have come out. They have elucidated more on certain points. Some of my uh, information is actually, uh, not correct dated um, yeah. yeah it's it's dated information <laughs> and on top of that the style my, my 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 way of approaching them has changed so much over like 10 years since i started doing it that i want to unify them a lot more and make them feel like more of like a legitimate series so i do have plans to kind of do over the entire final fantasy series and and release it all basically within like a couple weeks just day after day um so I've already rewritten the the first the first uh retrospective for Final Fantasy 1 so I'm kind of just slowly chipping at it but um hoping hoping also to do some review or some interviews myself with some of those developers uh, to get clarification on certain points that i've always been frustrated that there isn't quite like any info on so mm. if I can make that happen hopefully they'll remember uh, some of those details but um, anyways that's that's it for me
1: I just looked through my list of things that I've analyzed just to to double check, and I'm not sure that there are any on which my opinion has changed greatly. At least in terms of my big analysis videos, um, there are a couple times that I, um, that that you know, I wish I had done something better or said something more clearly. And a couple times I have actually um, corrected that, like I, I uh, misrepresented. Um, an element of objectivism in my Bioshock analysis, which of course was an easy opportunity for people to jump in and say, I had no idea what I was talking about, but sure. um, you know, so That's I later works. made a video and was like, Hey, I said this wrong. And, you know, honestly, I still <laughs> stick to what I said on like a practical level, but I, I had I had said that objectivism was like against charity, which isn't technically accurate, but I still oh. would argue is the logical conclusion of <laughs> Ayn Rand's whole philosophy, but come yeah, yes, yeah, I, I back, about. kind of be like, Hey, I, you know, I messed that up. Here's what I've meant or what I should have said or whatever. But honestly, my like, in of, practice it is, but ne- it's not
2: necessarily
1: right. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot, a lot of these philosophies and worldviews work a little differently practically than they do conceptually. And that's exactly you know, yeah. how that works. But, uh, you know, people are going to disagree on that and that's fine. But mm. yeah, no, it, it's mostly things like that. Things that I, uh, you know later on was like oh i wish or like i I wish that i had put a little more effort into deciphering the ending of the last of us because i didn't Mm. i I don't think i quite did my due diligence on that one so like you know things like that but not really things where i would say i've changed my view of the games necessarily
0: yeah i i (laughs) i have replayed uh a, a few of the games in the final fantasy series for the purpose of like looking at them again to remake reviews stuff mm-hmm. and my sure. re, my yeah. opinion on eight changes every time i play it I, I just seem to like it a little more every you
2: time know it's it. true that game that game slowly grows on you that's it's kind of funny i
1: actually like it too that's one of the i, I actually still haven't played oh, really? oh you got to it's <laughs> Yeah, I, a lot I, of people I, trash on
2: it, but it's actually a pretty good game.
1: Yeah. My wife and I are currently making our way through nine, which is the first time I've played nine. We're there you go. um Hey, that's a good one. After that, we're probably gonna do seven because she's never finished seven, and I sure. kinda have a ticking deadline for March 2020 to maybe try and put together an analysis <laughs> video for that. But yeah, for seven, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a lot, a lot of work. So I don't even know if we yep. but um but yeah, then we're gonna play eight. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool, cool.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I really hated it the first time. I just, like, I, I pretty much was on board with all the, the the big detractors. And I've replayed it, I think, probably four times. And it's like every time I just, like, eh, you know, my opinion on that particular part has softened a bit. I, I don't love it still, but, like, I don't hate it. And then the next time it's like, well, when you think about it that way, maybe it's, maybe it's kind of a good idea. <laughs> so... Anyways, my my Man. opinion on eight is always changing. My opinion on yeah. five radically changed between the first and second time. It went from oh. a, a hate to a love, like almost immediately on a second oh. playthrough. So need to finish
1: five, but it. I think the soundtrack doesn't get enough love. That oh, its, it's soundtrack really is so good. Soundtrack.
0: The soundtrack's so good on five. So good. Yeah. Anyways, um. Okay. All right. What are, last question comes from Tom W? What are some storytelling methods inherent to video games that you think deserve more attention or are a little bit unexplored or maybe not explored at all? This is a tougher question. Hmm. I'm ha- I was kind of having a hard time thinking. The, of the moment you asked me. <laughs> well, what's that? I actually had an answer to it the moment. Oh, perfect. Uh,
1: personally. Cause I think about this stuff all the time and perfect. Have, like favorite pet storytelling, interactive storytelling things that I love, yeah. but yeah,
0: Go for it because I, I want to hear what you have to say.
1: Okay, uh, my personal favorite, and I don't know if it's underutilized necessarily. It shows up a good deal, but it doesn't get talked about or valued as much. I don't think is um, there's not really a term for it necessarily. I'm a big fan of the ways that interactivity increase, uh, like makes the storytelling more powerful when that interactivity has nothing to do with actually changing the story. People talk all the time about how, you know, getting multiple endings or changing how the story turns out is the most powerful, important thing. And I think there are a lot of ways that video games invest you in the story that have nothing to do with letting you change anything. Um, One of the more obvious ways of doing this is uh, putting you in a situation where you can't succeed, but not telling you that, not in the way of necessarily of like the boss you can't uh-huh. fantasy, but like the ending of halo reach or shadow of the Colossus or uh final fantasy seven crisis core scenarios where it lets you try, even though you can't. And by the, that point in the story, it's a very emotional, yeah, I don't want to like spoil these games, but it's a very emotionally charged experience by that point. And the realization that you're not going to be able to succeed at this can be an incredibly powerful thing in a way that wouldn't have been if you had just watched the character do this, mm-hmm. um, Similarly, there are things like um, one of my favorite things that The Last of Us did, because that one's one that people often talk about is basically like a movie in terms of how it tells the story. It's yeah. Very, yeah. It is very cinematic, has a lot of cutscenes, but it also did this thing where, as as a player, you sort of inherently um, connect with the the person you're playing in a way that sort of makes you feel like you're inhabiting them as a character. And The Last of Us was essentially took advantage of that with um with joel as a protagonist Mm -hmm. because of course that effect was going to develop but the game did take you know it has that sequence where you play as ellie and stuff like that it goes through a lot of points to basically say look like you're not joel joel is himself joel is going to make his own decisions and then at the end of the game it basically says look see he's going to do this and whether you think it's the right thing or not you're going to have to make him because you're the player and, and there, there's a lot more emotional power there because of that. You're not changing anything. The game is still just leading you through what you are supposed to do, but it, it's more powerful there, just as as a result of that. Hmm. You know, yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of other yeah, scenarios yeah. too. I love where you would do something that you don't want to, that's wrong or bad. Shadow of the Colossus being another yeah. the example Splinter there. Cell, well, Splinter Splinter cell, cell of, Conviction. Call of Duty had a moment like that a few years back yeah yeah it's it's of duty
2: modern that. warfare 2 right in the
1: airport modern thing. warfare 2
2: i think where you go to the airport yeah. yeah
1: yeah and see when that sort of thing is done well i love that too just there are a lot of scenarios i think where video games increase how powerful the storytelling is by making yeah. you do something by not allowing you to have or even by having you make a choice and have it not mean anything in a way that still does mean something you know i I I just think that we don't talk enough about the ways that video games involve you the player in the story without letting without giving you control over it. And, you know,
0: I like I like that answer. And just, I guess, to iterate on it, uh, not being afraid to make the players uncomfortable for the thematic purpose. Right. Like like making them do something, like you said, they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course, for the reason of pointing to what the message is, you know, what the theme is, what you're trying to say with it, like yeah. um, to, to say something about uh, the morality of the situation or, or whatever it might be. Or, you know, d- does it require a sacrifice to really make you think about it? I think, again, we've been talking about how the the interactive nature, the the, um, how you get more invested when you feel like you're participating Moments like that when you're like, Oh, I don't feel good about this. I, yeah. I do think that that could be used more, but maybe to Kaysen's earlier point as well, there's a lot of fear that <laughs> takes courage to do yeah, because you does. know mm. this is an audience. These, these are people who are maybe looking for escapism or maybe who don't look at video games as some uh, way to dive into uh, philosophy or whatever it might be. And, uh, it can be really hard for especially for bigger studios this is probably something that's e- more easily handled in the in the indie sphere uh i think maybe if papers please you know comes to oh. mind um where it's like oh this is a really really like tough thing to make a call on i don't know i don't know what's right yeah uh, but making the player uncomfortable i think is a good good answer like
1: orwell at- did that really well too i think on the topic of indie games I just played that recently and it did this whole thing where like, it sort of makes you feel like you're doing the right thing by being part of this surveillance state because you're actually legit saving lives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Even though like, you, you know, it's not, and you you know that it has consequences for you, but it involves you in it so much that it kind of shows how much that kind of thing can suck you in. It, it's, it's interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, talking about last of us as well. Um, it's really funny because I think some people have gotten the idea that I don't like the Uncharted series, and that's not true. I really, really like the Uncharted series. I had a ton of fun playing through them. But there's there's no doubt for me that there is a strong disconnect, a, a dissonance between what you do <laughs> yeah. when you're playing the game and what the story is really about. Yeah. And that is something that The Last of Us does really well. And maybe my answer sort of like leans into that a bit is that like the violence of The Last of Us and the heaviness of it directly ties you into the state of mind of Joel, the character, right? Like like the choices he makes in that story and, and where it ends up at the end is all very congruent with who you have been playing as the whole time. Like, this is who the guy is. You've seen it. You've been doing it the whole game. And it's so strongly connected to the theme. Uh, Whereas Uncharted, like, that's not who Nate Drake is. Right? But when I'm playing the game, that's who he is. He's, like, freaking massacring (laughs) hundreds, if not thousands of people. But he's not that guy like Joel is. And so that's why The Last of Us really stuck with me. Better as a, as a, a way for the story and the game to really, the gameplay and the story to come together and to support each other. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that example a lot. Uh, it I was I interesting really... too
1: to play Uncharted Four and how obvious it was that the studio had made The Last of Us in between Uncharted Three. Yeah. And, like there's a big difference in how Uncharted Three and Uncharted Four unfold, and I think a lot of it's because mm-hmm. of the experience they had making The Last of Us.
0: Sure. Yeah. Definitely um xeno mm-hmm. chad's bringing up near automata as a good example oh, i think that yeah. The, yeah i i agree with that one for sure
1: i'm <laughs> not gonna spoil that ending because it's nope. too too powerful and too good but yeah no it's oof. it's a great really good example yeah. looking like uh, chocolate
2: rob makes a metal gear solid 3 ending um, yeah oh yeah reference as well too with with how the character's involved with something that's inevitably going to happen but you have to be the one to do it
1: yeah metal gear in general metal gear solid has a lot of those really neat you know not changing the story but still like deeply interactive storytelling Mm -hmm. moments yeah Yeah. good stuff
0: i metal gear solid 3 is definitely my favorite in the series and that moment is really good that that rob's bringing up do you have any case that you thought of oh geez (laughs) so storytelling methods i don't really
2: um I gotta say that there's a big difference between like storytelling in general and then storytelling methods. And I've always said that I really like Breath of the Wild storytelling methods. I don't love the story that's that it's telling, but the method is incredibly unique and it's actually very good. And it's it's a it's a different method than you've seen elsewhere. But but it does rely on a lot of what we talked about before, which is emergent storytelling, the Just emergent like storytelling stuff. Yeah. Kind of like there's elements there. You got to find them, and however you find them, lends to the depth of the story, I guess. But um, you know, there's not a ton of story to find. But in finding it, the the method of storytelling is actually, I think, very unique, and I think it's very good. Um, so I would say something like that. But that's that's not necessarily unexplored because emergent storytelling is kind well, of, in a way, a lot of a... games are rely on that.
0: In a way, I think it might be though, because I was yeah. I was actually thinking while while you guys were talking a little bit, what if I have no idea how you would do this because I'm not a I'm not a developer or a programmer or anything like that. Yeah. Or I don't even know how possible it is. Uh, maybe this would be a good question for Emily who we had on about the oh, AI yeah. and the strides they're having with AI and stuff. But what if the game could track some of those emergent elements like? things that you uniquely uh, did hmm. and then have npcs reference that somehow yeah
2: that would be crazy that would be cool
0: like what if what if uh, somebody saw me fall off that cliff and hang glide down and fight a guardian <laughs> in the ravine and climb out and and was like oh you had a rough time back there i see you know like that that was a conversation yeah. starter or they had been watching me or something that's something that i think is unexplored i don't know i sure, don't have any idea how possible it is but that yeah, well, con- procedurally that generated awesome.
2: story—that I don't know—that would be—that would be difficult. But maybe at some point, possible. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, Uvej is saying you mean like Telltale games, but actually doing the remembering and not just saying they will. I, I haven't played Telltale games, so I don't know <laughs> if that's a controversy surrounding their yeah, stuff. But know.
1: sort of, but more like. Yeah, I, I mean, sort of, I guess, but it seems like you'd want to do more, because you're talking more about procedurally generated narrative, whereas Telltale Games yeah. is a lot more about just indicating that the decision you made is important, and sometimes will have an effect on something later, which, you know, and that's also doesn't... another one of my, like, I, you know, my my Walking Dead analysis, Telltale's Walking Dead, is a whole lot of me basically saying, look, just because this choice doesn't change how the ending happens doesn't mean it's meaningless, these choices still matter, you know, so that's, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. on me, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, that's you'd have to make it a little more uh, progressively um, generated than yeah. those games are to to do more of what you're talking about. A so.
0: couple mm-hmm. of good comments here. First one from Wise Man Mattos, bringing up uh, Final Fantasy VII, a really great example of what uh, you were talking about, where, uh, spoilers, I guess, if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII, who hasn't played Final Fantasy VII on this channel? But um, in the moment where Cloud nearly stabs Aerith, uh, nothing the player can do to change the outcome. You can you can try all kinds of different buttons. I was actually doing this on my last playthrough. I was trying the D-pad. I was trying all that. And like everything you do, he's like struggling against it, but he keeps raising the sword up. And yeah. like you yeah. can't, you cannot change the outcome. So that's actually a really good example of what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, Usually I think of that
1: and uh, the scene in Andrew Ryan's office in Bioshock as yeah. the examples of that particular thing. Like sometimes taking control away from you at just the right moment can be way more powerful than giving you all the control you can have. Right. And
0: especially when it's interactive like that, like the character has lost control. He's not able to control and you also aren't. So you feel the connection Mm -hmm. with the character, right?
2: It it eliminates a little bit of that um, power fantasy as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Like your, your character, you're basically godlike at this point, you've got all the materia, you could do anything in the world, but wait, why can't you do this thing? Like what's going on here?
0: why can't yep. you stop yourself from just like yeah. beating eating eris in the crater left <laughs> by the black materia or whatever you know it's like yeah y- y- you're controlling i think uh this the kid subconscious version running around like no stop but like he oh, just yeah. runs up there and like you know starts taking her out it's crazy yeah. um and then uh chocolate rob a nice a nice joke here what if someone saw you go to the cloud district lately uh, that's uh, that's a Skyrim reference. The guy yeah, who asks yeah. if you've been to the Cloud District every single time you step through the door of the freaking village. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Yeah. Um, Sneaky says you can't procedurally generate a story. You would have to think of every possible scenario and develop everything around it. Uh, it's basically I have, impossible.
2: Yeah. We
0: have a podcast you should listen to <laughs> with a yeah. guest we had
2: about six months ago.
0: So You'd have to find it on the not on the archive channel, but on yeah. the the old, the Resonant Arc main channel, and go to the playlists. I think it was podcast number one oh one, and our guest was Emily, and she talked about um, the the leaps that are being made in, especially with what she's doing with her company. Yeah, with well, it's computer learning,
2: basically, you harness yeah. the power of computer learning to generate a story that changes mm-hmm. every time. You
0: know? The 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 NPCs can respond to your input
2: yeah. realistically so apparently that she's been on a team that's actually already made a couple games before we mm-hmm. haven't played them yet but
0: yeah they kind of use
2: some of this they're they're indie 16-bit games but still
0: go check out that podcast because i think that would be the vein in which you'd have to go in terms of the game yeah. like keeping track of what you did and then like generating a response from someone based on that yeah. And of course, there'd be limits to it. You'd want to eventually sort of like shoehorn it back into sort of like the main written narrative. Because we talked about a balance between what the writers actually write versus what the right. computer is coming up with in response to you. You
2: could generate a freaking insane story. <laughs> where
0: the boundaries you're are. Like, what is happening? And how the AI or how the computer can sort of like pull you back again rope you back into more of the written content right yeah. uh it's a fascinating discussion we had with her so definitely check that out even without yeah,
1: all yeah. the AI stuff like it would still be directed to some degree obviously but if you're talking about oh, yeah. you know people in the world of breath of the wild acknowledging that crazy thing that happened to you that wouldn't necessarily... I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens when Overwatch shows you a play of the game. Like, the, the mm. game is just constantly watching for things that are that's true. That sure. Have a yeah, There's simpler ways to put it in. Yeah, so like, if you had something sort of like that, that could recognize certain impressive things you did, and then, you know, have it so that, oh, okay, well, we'll put this line of dialogue into this NPC's mouth now because they recognize that that happened, or like, oh, this the story of this cool thing you did is spreading through, and you know, you could do stuff like that even now. It would be hard work and it wouldn't be a completely procedurally generated story, obviously, but it would be possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I well, think that's it, everybody. We've reached the end of our topics for today. Thanks for watching. And uh, so. Sam, thanks for coming on. This is a good discussion. Yeah. It's always fun. Check out Games is Lit on YouTube. I have the link right here for you guys in chat. Bam, there you go. I'd recommend I just subscribe. find a game I've done one of the
1: long analysis videos on. Preferably newer, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Start there. I did a six-video episode uh, series on uh, The World Ends With You recently, if you like that game on might. Yeah. Be a starting point.
0: That was the Switch. Did you look at the Switch version for that, or the DS version?
1: Uh, the, the DS But I always do the original uh, oh, nice. stuff in terms of what I'm actually analyzing. Um, but, of course, I did get the Switch version because I love that game to bits. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, So go check out his channel. Subscribe. Uh, It's all great stuff. And thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Have a great Sunday and peace out. Peace. Bye.